games are chilling the air. A screeching owl. Rustling leaves. A wolf howling in the distance. Tis the season for the creatures to emerge from their caverns and convene. Socially distant. To have a hand in a favor for Freddy's first annual virtual creature crawl and costume contest. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Let me tell you about the event I just played for you. A favor for Freddy's first annual creature crawl and costume contest. Freddy was happiest when he made others happy. When a connection occurred, his face just showed pure joy. In our current world, it's a little hard to carry on the tradition, but we can continue his legacy of giving. That is why for Halloween 2020, we are inducting our first annual creature crawl and costume contest. Dress up your entire family for Halloween and complete a walk, run, crawl, hop, anything to get your spirit flying at your own pace in your own neighborhood. Tag your crawl photos with the bib and costume to be entered in our costume contest. All funds raised will be donated to Gray Muzzle Manor the subject of a two-part episode airing this week and next. Let's raise money for a fabulous cause, enjoy fabulous prizes, and most importantly, let's have a howling good time. And now, this week's episode. Will you do a favor for Freddy? A favor for Freddy? A favor for Freddy? My guest for today is the founder of the nonprofit foundation Gray Muzzle Manor, Marcy Talker. Marcy, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Can we just begin with you telling us a little bit about yourself and your impetus for creating Gray Muzzle Manor? Well, I worked in animal welfare starting when I was probably 16. And I always loved animals. Went away to college in Pennsylvania. And this is a rough time, which it is for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I got back into horseback riding. That was kind of where I discovered equine-assisted psychotherapy, which I'll talk about as well. And found a horse I still have. She's 24 now. So I wanted, it really was a sanctuary for, for me and my horse and my dog. I wanted to have her home because I was boarding her. And I, I just wanted her to be home. Mm-hmm. So... I worked for a nonprofit at the time, an animal shelter, and I had started and was running a program for senior animals and animals with special needs. I started that program when I was 19, 20 years old. It was the first program of its kind, well, foster program for that organization. So my realtor was like, well, let's go see if we can find anything. Mm -hmm. Chuckling. Mm -hmm. And we found 
a small property that was not livable, actually. And everybody was like, no, run the other way. Marcy, what are you doing? Because I think by then I was 21 or 22 or something. And my realtor and I were like, oh, we have a vision. So I was able to get that property. And, you know, we could all be together. My horse, me, and my one dog, Bailey, at that time. I had him for 14 years. He passed away last year. So me and him and Fancy were like the three musketeers. They got me through a lot of things. So at that point, I had discovered the power of animals and how they could be used in therapy. In undergrad, I was kind of obsessed, um, knew that that was what I wanted to do someday. But it seemed like so far off. So I had my little place and people, like friends started to reach out to me. You know, they had a bad day or, or whatever. Could they come out? And they would come out and I would see them relax feel calm, just like I was reading about in all the books I was devouring as fast as I could at that time about animal-assisted psychotherapy. I remember thinking, this place is doing for them what it did for me, and left the job at that nonprofit and started my own rescue, which was no hesitation, called Gray Muzzle Manor. And the tagline is, the, the place that loves no. So, sorry, you hear dog barking? It was the place... The place that love built, because when you would drive into the property, people would comment that um, they could just feel an energy shift. Mm. I wanted to create a place where people and animals knew that they meant something, where they were accepted and where they felt they belonged. I think, you know, initially with the nonprofit piece, the rescue piece, that was for our seniors, our senior dogs many of them requiring palliative care mm-hmm. at that point and learning from them how to make every moment the very best possible because for them, they didn't know if that would be their last day sometimes. Sometimes they'd be doing pretty well and all of a sudden they would just decline extremely quickly and before I knew it, I'd be euthanizing dog that evening. Mm-hmm. But I knew that they had the best day ever, every day, and that that was okay. I remember realizing only a few years ago that that whole part of wanting people and animals, especially people too, to feel like they matter and that they belong was almost me turning myself inside out mm. and didn't realize it until, like I said, not that long ago, just not, not ever feeling like um, I fit mm-hmm. or always feeling different. And then I didn't even realize, I didn't realize that I created an organization based on giving that to whomever we met, person or animal. So this year you had quite an expansive growth. Uh, Could you talk a little bit about that? We moved to 45-acre property May 30th. And And um, what was it prior to the 45-acre? Almost four acres. So a little bit. (laughs) Just a tiny. (laughs) Yeah, so the opportunity was something that really was only in dreams. Mm. Um, I wanted to one day have a facility that had enough space to offer larger workshops, more ability to offer various programs, including gardening spaces, all these different things. Just just so much different the space that we could utilize for pretty much whatever purpose we might find that there's a need. Mm-hmm. And this is also, like I said, with the therapy. And not that I wasn't grateful for my little property, but I just didn't know if maybe one day 
you know, there's the glass ceiling. I don't know. I'm always changing the, moving up the bar a bit, <laughs> which is sure. a double-edged sword. And the opportunity came kind of unexpectedly, really the end of winter, last winter, to partner up with a dear friend of mine who owns the property with her, her late husband and to take over the property. That's how it. That's how it transpired. It was meant to be there. Can we talk? uh, uh, You have so many different facets to Gray Muscle Manor. Uh, Can we break it down a little and go over the programs singly? Just because they're so incredible, I'd love to hear each facet here. Um, Do you want to start with community outreach, or how do you? Um, Well, so kind of always think you know it stands upon a few different platforms. The organization itself. Okay. Acceptance, non-judgment, and presence. So that's kind of what these old dogs teach us. It's what people teach us. It's what I want people to feel. So it started off senior dog rescue and hospice. However, there's a huge need, a huge amount of people that don't want to get rid of their pets. You know, I worked in animal warfare for a long time, and not everybody is exactly like me. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's going to make the same exact choices as me. And this doesn't mean that they're wrong. Sure. Obviously, my threshold for chaos is probably a little bit higher than most people's, right? So, <laughs> but that's, that's not going to be the same for everybody else. Sure. Things happen in our lives that we could never plan. When, you, when you're a little kid, you, does somebody say, well, I hope one day I lose my job and lose my house. I really hope that. No. Or, you know, I hope one day I fall into addiction and become a heroin addict and lose everything. Mm-hmm. Like that's not typically something that we foresee these hard times that we all go through. Yes. And we're all a lot closer to going through than we like to admit. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it really fair to tell somebody that they have to get rid of their animal, the one being that's been there for them, providing acceptance, non-judgment, all of those things through the worst times in their lives? oh, well, I'm sorry that you lost your house because you're evicted because you lost your job. I know you're looking for a new one, but you've got to get rid of your dog. Mm. Or you want somebody to seek treatment for for addiction. Such a difficult decision. But in order to do that, maybe they don't have any way to take care of their pet. We want somebody to leave domestic violence situations. But a lot of times the animals, if there's animals, they're used as a ploy in manipulation. And maybe they can't take their pet. And what are they going to do? They know if they leave, it's they've already been threatened that their partner's going to kill that animal. Yeah. Or if they do make such a hard choice to leave, again, just like with the other situations, they can't take their, they can't take them with. So we're asking, we want people to take care of themselves. We want them to make these super hard choices. But then we want to ask this other thing of them too. And I don't think that's fair. Mm-hmm. In the worst of days, you come home and your, your dog's just as excited to see you. Yeah. Whether you were fired from your job, whether you haven't showered in a week, whether your electric got shut off, they, they treat you just the same. Mm-hmm. The community outreach piece, trying to help people just be able to keep their pets in the first place, as opposed to looking at the problem from how to get them out of shelters. Let's see if we can keep them from going in in the first place. Is there anything else you wanted to speak on about community outreach? The biggest thing and one of my most favorite things to do is being able to help people with safer programs, support for animals and families, enabling recovery. It's a very, very unique long-term foster care program with the goal of reunification. This program 
is for individuals that are seeking inpatient mental health treatment, drug and alcohol treatment, saving domestic violence, temporary homelessness. I even helped a woman. She'd been putting off knee surgery for years because she had this big lug of a senior pit bull that she, it was just the two of them. She didn't want to get rid of him. That's that's the best buddy. That program, those animals go into a foster home. We, you know, have an agreement with the individuals that are seeking assistance that, that we maintain contact. We do ask for like a general amount of time. And obviously if that's going to change, that's fine. We just want to know. Mm-hmm. We pay for everything while they're in our care. And the goal is that they go home. That's amazing. And it's been so cool to watch and then watch this dynamic come between the foster family and the pet owner. Because they kind of become like family sure. and it's really neat. I hadn't even thought about that connection. That's that's beautiful. Does that happen often and then they all keep in touch? A lot of them do. Um, it's another, again, very small program. And this is, you know, I'm you know, in the process of reaching out for help mm-hmm. for individuals to assist with grant writing and things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I run the therapy piece because I know that this is a service that is much needed, but it's not something we can do very often. Mm -hmm. We also, it also requires a foster family that for potential long-term commitment, we've had animals in care for 18 months. So Mm -hmm. they, and they know that they're going to, the goal is for them to go home. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of boundaries and rules that I set and make sure are in place for the protection of, of everybody. But typically they, the foster families will choose, like they're comfortable with communicating with the individual themselves with just updates and stuff like that. They can do visits mm-hmm. if the foster family is comfortable. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, it's, a, it's a safe situation for everybody. And while they're with us, if they're not neutered or stayed, we do that. Mm-hmm. If, if medical issues arise again, all of it's taken care of. So they don't have, they have one less thing they have to worry about. You know, they can focus on taking care of themselves and their families because sometimes there's children involved in some scary situations. They can focus on themselves and their kids, getting themselves back on their feet when they're settled and there's stability and there's a lot of discussion. This is not just a willy-nilly type of thing. And then eventually they get to go home. Let's talk about equine-assisted and animal-assisted psychotherapy. I finally finished undergrad and I finally finished graduate school. (laughs) And, um, I know, finally, <laughs> um, I am a therapist. Oh, that is my quote unquote regular real, you know, my real job, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> and I am a client centered therapist and client centered is there's multiple things that we think have to be present in the therapeutic environment for change to happen. Some of these things include acceptance, non-judgment, empathy, unconditional positive regard. So like support no matter what meeting people where they're at, things like that. And that, that happened to our align with the organization that I had created. I also utilize expressive art therapy, play therapy, attachment-based trauma therapy, as well as equine-assisted psychotherapy. I do practice and utilize the EGALA model, as well as animal-assisted psychotherapy. That is, it's separate from the nonprofit, but they intertwine in that pretty much all of the animals end up getting used in sessions. That's incredible. Can you explain what that is exactly? How do, how do you use an animal in, in psychotherapy? 
I try to explain it like if you go back, do you have the well you oh, yeah, yes. you can yes. <laughs> okay. The feeling what what do you feel when you get home? From anywhere. What do they do? What do the dogs do? They act like it's the first time they've seen you in, in a lifetime, even though it's been like two minutes. It just warms you and it's something that you look forward to every day. Just opening yeah. that door and seeing their face. And what about if something not so great happens during the day? Then what do they do? How do they treat you? They make that go away or at least melt it a little bit. Just... I mean, if if ever I have a bad day, I know that it can be remedied by going home and just putting my face in their fur. So, Yeah, that feeling, if you kind of have that feeling in your mind, right, that they accept you, they're not judging you. Not at all. The stuff we say to ourselves, we would never say to other people. And they, of course, never would treat us or say this thing. That, if you think of that, and then you add in a therapist, so I kind of see it as they're my co-therapist. So we can put it into a therapeutic environment and utilize basically animals being animals mm-hmm. um, with clients in a unique and very different way to reach goals and things in their lives that they're you know hoping to to improve or change or whatever. So this is how I explain to you. I see a lot of kids. So <laughs> we have our thinking brain and our feeling brain. Okay. And our feeling brain is like our fight, flight, or freeze. So that's keeping us alive. Mm-hmm. Like that's the, that's its job. That's our brain job. Keep us alive. Keep us safe. Our thinking brain is a higher functioning thing. So so executive function, planning, learning, understanding, speaking. These things that you probably wouldn't think of. And typically they work together. But if we become dysregulated, this can be caused by stress. This can be caused by Heat, you know, you're hot, hungry, like hangry is a thing, totally. <laughs> yes, um, can be caused by so many different things. They, those two, they start to struggle to talk to each other a bit. The little kid that thinks, there's a monster in my closet, usually his thinking brain will be like, no, there's not. Mm-hmm. You know, monsters don't exist. That kind of goes off mm-hmm. when we, as we become dysregulated. And animals, they don't have that part. They are operating off of fight, flight, or freeze. All of their behavior is a direct, exact barometer of how they're feeling inside and them meeting a need that they need to meet at that time to keep themselves safe. You ever go somewhere, you know, you didn't really want to go. Mm-hmm. And so you, you go and then what happens when, you, when you're there? Ugh. Then you just <laughs> kind of look for a way to go out, like get over it and leave. But if right. not, then you look for the nearest dog. <laughs> Yeah, see, that's then you're clever. You're funny. No, exactly. <laughs> but if you were really wanting to leave, mm-hmm. what is but what is your brain saying to you then to counteract it? That I'm just and I apologize. No, I just, no, I, no. I'm I, making. I'm like putting you in this totally vulnerable <laughs> position. Uh, for me, that's constant because I, I'm such an introvert. Uh, anytime I go to any sort of function, it's immediately once I get there, it's it's how can I get out? And but then you think they're gonna. Th- I don't want them to feel bad, or, or it's immediate. Like how is how am I going to be judged? Or are they going to be judged by me leaving? So ding, 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 ding. ding. <laughs> so you go somewhere. You're feeling dysregulated. You make yourself go. Yes. And then you're kind of like, I had enough. Like, I got to go. Mm-hmm. But then we're like, oh, what will people think? They might think I'm rude. They might. So we make ourselves stay. Yeah. 
an animal is not going to force themselves to stay in a situation that's uncomfortable. Right. I have dogs that sometimes they want to be pet. A lot of times they just want to go lay in their bed. Maybe they go in the other room for a little, the dog, and then they come out. So we're going to let them determine their own level of safety and when they're ready to come out. And does anybody say, well, that that chicken was so rude because it walked (laughs) away from me and now it just came back. Or that dog was so rude. Like, how selfish is he? You know, Mm -hmm. he's supposed to be here, hang out with me, and he's sitting on the other couch. Yeah, yeah. But we do it. And part of self-regulation, dealing with this dysregulation, is, you know, one of the biggest things that I teach is let yourself walk away. Mm-hmm. Go to a calming space. Do what you need to do. Go on a walk. Get up. Movement's a big one. Animals know how to do this perfectly. This is how they live. Yeah. So I could sit in sessions and I can explain all this stuff to you. But when you're watching, when we're working with the herd, mm-hmm. and this herd could include 21 had a cattle, not even kidding you. I've done full sessions with our, all of our cows. Wow. Might include our, our group of chickens, might include the horses, obviously. <laughs> You're watching them do it in real life. Mm. You're, they're able to display concepts that I can only explain. Mm-hmm. They do it right in front, and there's nothing like it. A Favor for Freddie is produced by me. Jill, with music written and performed by Alex Guzman, with additional vocals by Jamie Channel Guzman. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find the link to register for the Creature Crawl and Costume Contest there. Until part two next week, and Freddie, until forever. <laughs>